0: And hi um, to everybody. I will wait until uh, 9 o'clock on the dot to officially start, but I'm going to go ahead with the recording because I don't want to forget to get it started. In any case, I was saying we have the resources at um, www.higheredconnects.com. We have a whole page of uh, coronavirus resources, everything from the links to the official sources to I've been posting um, a whole bunch of stuff related to uh, how to use online resources. Um, there's things for faculty who are transitioning to teaching online um, and then um, if you haven't been following Brian Alexander's blog he's a futurist he actually was in our first uh, online webinar a couple weeks ago talking about um, some of the issues that are facing higher ed and so that's a really great blog to follow. He's uh, got a, 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 a whole set of uh, resources there as well. So um, a lot of people are tracking what's going on in terms of um, campus closures, (laughs) which almost every campus, I believe, is closed these days. Um, But in any case, uh, so make sure you check that out. Again, we're at www.higheredleads.com, and we will have our next newsletter coming out on April 1st. And that will include some commentary from me on what's happening uh, with the uh, coronavirus situation in higher ed. And unfortunately, we've even had a couple of campuses announce closures here in the San Francisco Bay Area, Notre Dame, Denomer University and uh, San Francisco Art Institute. So this is going to take a heavy toll on campuses, particularly around the ones that are uh, having financial difficulties. I apologize if you're hearing noise in the background. Um, uh, For those who are just joining, it's now 9 o'clock. Welcome to our today's uh, webinar for the Center for Higher Education Leadership. I am in my backyard using the cell service because I can't get cell service in our house and our wi-fi is down comcast is our wi-fi internet provider and they've been having a lot of issues with uh, um, getting with the internet going up and down so in any case um, again i'm terry Gibbons, the ceo and founder of the center for higher education leadership and um, if you, uh, you want to make sure if you're joining to turn off your video so that we can maintain that the video takes up a lot of uh, space, so uh, you you don't need your video today. Miriam Bellbloom is our guest today, but I wanted to start off, and actually Miriam, you can go ahead and say hello. Hi everybody,
1: wonderful to join you.
0: Yes, uh, I really appreciate Miriam joining us today because it's a really uh, interesting time for international students who study abroad, so I wanted to start off by talking about some of the experiences I had and study abroad when I was the Vice Provost for international Affairs at UT Austin. Actually, it was 10 years ago, we were dealing with the one n one virus. And in that situation, we um, actually had to start implementing some new risk management processes. And I'm um, seeing those processes playing out today, um, you know, my son goes to Lewis and Clark uh, College up in Portland and actually a, a group of their students were stuck in Morocco. And what's interesting is, you know, even if you have all the risk management processes in place, it doesn't mean that, you know, there isn't gonna, like this has really been an unprecedented situation for study abroad. So even today there are students and faculty um, who can't get home yet. Um, But a week ago there was a group of students from Lewis and Clark University College in uh, Morocco. And really it took, uh, you know, contacting congressmen, you know, getting connected to people who were doing charter flights so um, when the uh, flights were shut down um, that really left a lot of students um, you know uncertain how they were going to get home and that's I was reading a story about a group in Peru so you know at UT Austin we we developed a really robust set of you know, risk management processes and the things that came up during that time is this not only study abroad, you know, the focus tends to be on study abroad programs, but um, I'm sure there are uh, international offices across the country trying to figure out where faculty Mm -hmm. are who are doing research, um, graduate students doing research, um, you know, you have students who've done their own um, semesters abroad you know, set make their own arrangements. And so, you know, even 10 years ago at UT Austin, after we dealt with the H1N1 situation, we um, found that it was important to have tracking systems for anybody who was going abroad. We also set up, and I remember at the time, the State Department set up tracking systems, um, they, you know, at least a way for you to input your information so that, you know, we would at least have some general idea where you were that um, it's a, it's just a really difficult time because even if you have like risk management and ways you know, emergency uh, systems in place um, you know, emergency transportation it's a situation like this when everything is shut down um those this can't necessarily work, so people scrambling and trying to figure out uh, how to take people home. But in any case, because it's really noisy here, I going to pass it off to Miriam, and also I guess I'm breaking up. So why don't you go ahead, and I'm gonna turn off the microphone for now. Thanks.
1: Sure. Thank you so much, Terry. Um, and again, thank you so much for taking some time um, out of what I know are very busy days. Um, whether you're you know, um, working with the campus and working from home or having to actually um, still be working with students on your campus or faculty um, on your campus. Uh, my name is Miriam Feldlum. I'm the Executive Director of the President's Alliance on Higher Education and Immigration. We're an alliance of college and university presidents and chancellors who have come together Uh, To support undocumented students other immigrant students and international students and we do so in um, Three ways we support advocacy advocacy on the national level, but also on on the state level legislative advocacy and administrative advocacy, but also litigation and And working um, on amicus briefs and working on litigation Uh, second Um, bucket of work that we work on to support undocumented, other immigrant and international students is to increase awareness about the importance of immigration and of immigrant populations in higher education, not only for our campuses, but for our communities, the regions in which our campuses are located and the states and the country as a whole. Um, And then finally, we also work of of what we do at the President's Alliance is developing and sharing best practices across campuses. And in all of this we're then also working on three levels. We clearly work at the federal level but then we're also working at the state and institutional levels. What I would like to do um, today and let me make sure I can Bring my slides down. Okay, Um, what I'd like to do today uh, is think about the impact on international and immigrant students in the global campus context. Think about the distinctive challenges that are facing international students, but also the challenges that are facing DACA recipients during the COVID-19 crisis and other immigrant students and populations. Talk a little bit about the advocacy actions that the Alliance and other organizations and advocates are considering and that you may want to consider. Kind of talk through some of the lessons already from the front lines. And then we, I would love to engage in a conversation with you all and hear your thoughts and experiences. Oops. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, let's see.
0: Not what I wanted.
1: Okay, so let's kind of go through just, and and Terry was starting this with the campus context. The COVID 19 outbreak pandemic is presenting unprecedented challenges for higher education from campuses that were already in financial difficulty that are now on on the brink. Um, but everything from how we're supporting all students and vulnerable populations on our campuses, moving teaching online, what will future enrollments look like? And if we consider international students, clearly international students in the future enrollments of international students could be tipping points for many campuses that really rely on the enrollment of international students to help with Revenue and with the with their programs, whether at the undergraduate or graduate level. I keep trying to move the buttons and the buttons don't work. My apologies. So what are the distinctive challenges that are faced by international students. Well, there's a, there's a range of cascading issues as those of you um, on, the, on the Zoom webinar and the, on this call know. So when the COVID-19 crisis hit and many campuses early on were making decisions to close campuses and to move instruction online, they were doing so in an existing landscape of policies and regulations that were heavily structured. And it seems as though many campuses were making decisions without fully understanding all the impact on the international students. So, for example, as you now know, um, moving online needs a, um, needs new guidance from the Student and Exchange Visitor Program, CVIP, to allow international students to participate on online education. That was an unknown right at the beginning as campuses were moving online. But it's not only around online instruction, it's around their work on campus, it's it's around summer internships or internships off campus, a range of, um, of issues that govern what international students can and cannot do that was the context in which campuses were rightly making immediate public health decisions and teaching and instructional decisions for their campuses as a whole. Um, I'd love to hear from you to the extent that you can to think about where were the senior international officers on, um, on the campuses, at the time of these decisions being made, how much were you thinking about the impact on international, um, on international students at the time, and on other immigrant populations? What we what we also know, and this is not only um, impacting international students, is range of vulnerable student populations on campus that were dealing with logistics, that were needing more communication. I think almost every stakeholder population on campus were needing more communication from the administration. Um, there were travel barriers, lack of money, what was gonna happen with their with their jobs that they may already um, be participating in, or for campuses, for, for international students who are thinking about the jobs for the summer. So for example, we certainly heard a good number of cases where campuses closed, international students were told to go home, they would participate remotely um, from home in the, in the classes, and then not fully recognizing that at this point, they can't apply for optional practical training from abroad. They actually have to be in the U.S. at this point, so far, in terms of the existing guidance and regulations but they actually can't get back to the US to apply. So does that mean that their summer opportunities may be lost to them? Uh, There's also questions around how the internet was gonna actually work in their home countries. Uh, So there were certainly many campuses that allowed international students to stay, but a surprising number of campuses that also were asking all international students to leave. There was fear, confusion, uncertainty. and again, while this is not you know confined to international students or to other immigrant students, how it was also impacting their access to work, to funding, to resources played out differently and distinctively for international students and for some immigrant students. Um, CVIP, which is the Student Exchange Visitor Program, uh, did release guidance on March 9th and then March 13th. And just this week, they also released some new FAQs. They've been quite responsive, which is, which is great. You know, making it clear that, yes, international students can participate in remote instruction. You can tell us after the fact, but tell us within 10 days. Here's what, you know, you need to do. Um, uh, but there are many, many unanswered questions, whether it's regarding optional practical training or even work on campus being done when a student is off campus. Uh, across the globe, uh, councils and embassies have also canceled the visa appointments, which means that once you're out of the country, how continuing students as well as new um, potential enrollees for fall 2020 or for summer 2020 will be able to come to the U.S. is an unknown. It's uncertain right now. Many USCIS, which is the U.S. Um, Citizenship and Immigration Service offices, have they've, they've all closed across this country. It was going to be till April 1st. I think now most of them are till April 7th. Probably will be later than that as well. And that affects many different Um, kinds of services that immigrant students and staff and faculty may need in order to ensure that they are in status, that they're complying with what they need to what they need to do. So the you know a bottom line for for us is that there are many outstanding questions. At the end of my remarks I'm also going to give you the link to a briefing on um, COVID-19 and international and immigrant students that we're holding tomorrow, the President's Alliance in conjunction with NAFSA, the International Educators Association, where we'll have policy and legal experts talk about what we know, what we don't know, and what we can do about it now. Preview for that, what they're going to, you know, really drive home tomorrow is document, document, document. For anything that you're doing with an international student that you're doing because of the COVID-19, you think it should be okay, you may not be sure, document it so you can show this is why you did it. It's important for international students as well to be in close contact with the international students' offices. And I actually think they, too, should document everything. This may not come up. In June, it may not come up next year, but it may be a few years down the road when they're trying to adjust status. That they'll be questioned about a something that happened during this period and it will be important for them to have documentation for for to show why it was that maybe we had, um, for example. Curricular practical training, CPT, I'm happy to explain a little bit more of this if you have some questions, but curricular practical training, CPT, is something that students, even when they're in their home countries, if they can do that remotely, they can continue doing that even now, right? But they should document, here's how I'm doing it, here's how I'm getting my assessment, and so on. Now I mentioned that it's not only international students whose distinctive immigration challenges are being impacted by the COVID-19 crisis. And when I say impacted, they're being impacted by all the uncertainty that we had, that we are living in, by the actions being taken by the US government. And at this point, by the lack of enough guidance and flexibility by the government. So what are some other challenges that are impacting immigrant students and who are not international students? Well, USCIS offices are closed. So those students and alumni who need to renew their DACA renewals in 2020 may not be able to do so if the USCIS offices don't open. They actually require biometrics appointments. So there's an in-person component of renewals. For employment authorization documents, there's a, if your employment EAD, employment authorization document is expiring this spring, you may not have the ability to renew because the USCIS offices are closed. One of the things I'll mention, on is that we just sent a letter to the Department um, of of Homeland Security and to the Department of State asking for some flexibility and guidance. So for employment authorization documents, asking for an automatic extension of those documents for those whose um, documents were expiring in 2020. Let me me switch to what what you may also be um, kind of on your radar, though maybe not in these past weeks, is that the Supreme Court is expected to hand down the decision on DACA. Now you may say, well, but the Supreme Court won't do it now because everyone's so, so preoccupied and having to grapple with COVID-19. Well, that's not the way the Supreme Court works. Even though they have, in a very, very rare, almost unprecedented manner, suspended oral arguments, they are releasing decisions. And advocates and others are concerned that the decision on DACA may come down in April. This is something that my organization has been trying to share out with all of our members. Don't think it may only come in June. It's certainly, we're hearing it could come earlier. We were doing this back in November, December, January, February. Now we're not hearing that, that there's been a change of, of approach by the Supreme Court. Um, So what will happen with students, and if you have undocumented DACA recipients on your campuses or in your campus communities, that's a whole other kind of area of support and advocacy and response that campuses will need to deal with. Immigration status and and medical treatment. Um, So... As you may have been aware of, thinking of the, um, the impact of the new public charge on immigrant communities in your, in your campus communities. Uh, the, public, the, the government has said that going for testing, treatment, you know, care for anything related to COVID-19 will not count as part of a determination of public charge. They just released that in the past uh, week or so. That's great news, but unfortunately, that doesn't mean that immigrants have access to the, to the funding necessarily in order to get treatment. And the most recent bill that just got passed by the Senate last night that will get passed, we hope, by the House on Friday, um, that does not include relief for immigrant um, for immigrants, really in this uh, in this country, we can talk about that separately. But that can be that can be a problem for some um, for some immigrant students and their families in your community. DACA recipients, depending upon the state, can have access to unemployment insurance. But again, that made that's the, you have to look at the state laws around that. So when we think about relief financial relief, medical support during the COVID-19 crisis, not everyone on your community will have the same kind of relief. To return also to international students, consider that as part of the relief package, um, helping to support those who had work study positions on campus. Well, that won't apply to either international students or to um, DACA recipients or other immigrant students if they were not eligible for work study. So let me turn to to advocacy. As you hear about all the distinctive issues that are impacting international students, and yes, Terry, we can talk also about staff and faculty uh, here, There's a range, and that also means that there's a range of advocacy that I would love to hear from the group today, what you think you would want to engage in, what your campuses could engage in, um, and and what you think could make a difference, um, just even for your students and campus constituencies, knowing that you're thinking about them. So first is administrative advocacy. That's actually writing letters and connecting with the departments and agencies who are making decisions like CVIP, like ICE, like you know Department of Homeland Security as a whole or Department of State. Can you extend, can you automatically extend employment authorization documents? Can you put a waiver on the need for biometrics so that, um, so that, uh, applications can go through. The President's Alliance has put in letters, NAFSA has done a fantastic job with their administrative advocacy. Um, we endorse their letter and we're working to support them on the work that they're doing to support international students. And that goes with congressional advocacy then. So some things the departments can do directly. If the departments don't do them, it could be in certain legislation. So for example, we were part of a group also working to try to incorporate automatic extension of employment authorization documents in the COVID-19 legislation. It actually was in the house package, um, but it was not in, in um, the Senate package, so it didn't pass. I love this question, by the way, where we can find templates for such letters and suggestions for topics to include, and um, we will absolutely share that with you. So there's, in a specific COVID-19, and it could be then, we'll, we'll be having, for example, working with the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, a, um, a dear colleague letter, For representatives to sign on to, which would then be sent to the Department of Homeland Security asking for this automatic extension, what you and your campus can do is contact your your representative to say this would be great to sign on to because it would support our international students, our DACA recipients, our TPS visa holders, and others who have employment authorization documents. Third, we're also working with the preparation for the for the Supreme Court decision. We will have um, templates for those letters as well that institutional leaders can join on. And we are also working in a cross sector um, letter, a with dreamers statement that the President's Alliance will also be sharing out in the next couple of weeks. Finally, and this is what you can do directly at your campuses which is your campus leaders, yourselves in your position, your campus or with students, write up op-eds and uplift stories of how international students, alumni and immigrant students and alumni are helping to battle COVID-19. They can be in so many different roles, whether, you know, working from the from the grocery store to the emergency room from a tech kind of idea that's helping to put um, classes online to a range of other kinds of work that our immigrant and international students, staff, faculty, and alumni are doing. And we really need to uplift those stories. Um, That's something that NAFSA is asking for. Um, We we are asking for, if you're interested in doing this, we just sent out our um, member update today with a, uh, with a link to a op-ed template, uh, an op-ed toolkit, and I'm happy to share that with Terry as well. I'm almost at the end. So kind of thinking about the lessons from the front lines. I think one of the important lessons that we're hearing from both campus leaders, from presidents and chancellors, from directors of international student um, services offices and from students and alumni themselves is when there's an emergency task force, when these when these crises are happening, we need decision makers to be putting the pieces together. You know who was in the room, who was around the table if there was a real understanding of all the impacts on international students, could it have been done differently, right? That's certainly something that um, is one of the lessons learned. Talking from, to a president, uh, you know, for him, a key issue about putting all the pieces together is that we are in an existential crisis moment. He needs everyone on his campus to also understand the financial challenges that are being presented to the whole campus about what's happening. And if his campus is not able to enroll international students for the summer and fall, that has significant financial implications. So how are we going to work together? And we're going to have the directors, whether it's student affairs, academic affairs, understand what the cabinet needs to consider. And how serious it is, but also making sure that those in the cabinet are listening to the directors of international student services offices, their senior international offices officers on campus are understanding what's happening with the students. Um, And that brings me to the role of SIOs, which is what I hear, you know, from from, um, NAFSA and SIOs, document, 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 and also reach out to us. So it's great that we're on these uh, webinars and planning meetings together, but the most important person for you on your campus is who's the director of your international student services program, who's your DSO, the designated school official, because they're gonna be the key person who's gonna need the support and need to be listened to in terms of how international students in your campus are gonna get through um, this period of time. Uh, third, and this has come through again, not only specific to international students or, or immigrant students, is how vulnerable students on campus need to be supported during this period of time and during these crises. You know it's interesting as you may have heard and many maybe some of you are at CUNY, CUNY um, in New York moved online, um, they're teaching and are now in a pause because where they assumed that most students or many students would be able to Um, either use a computer lab if they didn't have a laptop at home or in some different ways get access to the technology that they needed. It turned out not to be the case and they're really working to figure out how to ensure that all students or as many students as possible have the access to the technology for online learning. Um, Certainly uh, the Thinking about the distinctive needs of international students, especially low income international students, but all in this in these kinds of situations is very important. Everyone I, all the students and alumni that I've talked to have asked for us to emphasize over communicate over communicate. That's really important. And by the way, many alumni, and this is something to think about, I'd love to hear whether you're already thinking about it, is the role that international alumni who are in the US can, can, can play for your campuses. Communicating with them could be really smart strategically at this moment in time. And then finally, future planning. We are, there's so many big unknowns and the financial issues, the technical issues, the policy um, issues, are, are going to be um, really important for future planning, and that has to start happening, um, of course, and I'm sure you're already engaged. Here are some basic resources um, for uh, for what I've been talking about today. Um, NAFSA's page, the coronavirus critical resources, is the best site in higher ed for policies impacting international students. They're doing a great job. They are your go-to place. For immigrant populations, immigrants rising, we, um, we supported them with this. And they're, if you, I'm gonna be sharing these slides and I've shared them actually already with Terry. And so they're hyperlinked. And that is a list of resources for immigrants during this period. Informed Immigrant is another list of resources. I think the Higher Ed um, ACE Engage platform is excellent, I'm so glad ACE is doing it. I encourage all of you to, to join Engage. I think it's very cool to do. I also gave you um, uh, links to the letter that I referenced and to our website. And then here, here's the, um, w- the briefing that I referenced earlier in my remarks. It's gonna be held tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern time. I have to say, we'll see how many people show up. But we've had over 1,000 people register for this briefing. And I think that what that shows is the need and desire for information and answers. Now, you are getting a preview that, in many ways, what the policy and legal experts will say is we don't have many of the answers that we need yet. But I think there'll be a really valuable um, briefing. And we've gotten hundreds of of questions, and we're trying to organize. The speakers are really trying to address as many questions as they can. And that's it. Let me end there. Um, And again, I would love to hear from from everybody. And um, tell me what you're doing. What have I missed? um, And what are some of your questions and thoughts? Thank you.
0: Thanks so much, Miriam. Can you guys hear me Okay. Pretty much. I apologize. <laughs> um, uh, Mary, could you talk a little bit more about uh, faculty and staff? Because that's one of the things I don't think a lot of people are, are thinking about yet. But it sounds like there's going to be some issues for faculty and staff as well.
1: Absolutely. And so if you think about incoming international faculty and staff, There, the consulates and embassies are closed. So they cannot, and they need their visa, at this point, visa appointments. There's an in-person component. And you can actually kind of start the process, even, without part of that in-person component. Um, uh, NAFSA and others are asking whether some of that in-person components can be waived or at least kind of some more flexibility. So if you think about international student, international faculty, staff perspective outside the country, that's really difficult. Premium processing, which enables a more expedited um, processing of um, H-1B petitions or applications are suspended. So there are many ways that it can be very difficult for those who are H-1 would come in H-1B or in other kinds of visa um, uh, categories, or for j scholars, There's a question of, for J-Scholars um, that we've seen, if it comes to the end of their term, should they leave? Can they stay? What can we do? And Terry, I'm not, you know, I'm a political scientist like you and not a lawyer. And so I want to make sure I'm not giving any legal um, advice, and the lawyers tomorrow won't be giving any legal advice. But the bottom line is, there's a lot that we don't know yet. So the the advice that I hear from all um, lawyers is that if you are on a visa, you don't want to, and you're a faculty or staff, you don't want to leave this country right now, right? Because it can be hard to come back in. Um, but there's still not answers about what happens, you know, in the category of expirations, of these expirations and other, and, and other issues. Does right. that answer that, that question?
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, it sounds like it's just gonna be a situation <laughs> where uh, leaders are gonna have to develop some contingency plans if they can't get their, your graduate students, staff, faculty, you know, back to the US.
1: Absolutely, and contingency plans if they were planning to, um, if they had already agreed to hire somebody who was gonna teach in a summer or fall class. Uh, and certainly right now, even though it'd be devastating to think about, and we certainly hope this isn't the case, but what happens if you're not able to bring in a, a, a rope, a, Either a cohort at all or a robust cohort of international students.
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure there are some questions out there. Right. So yes, and I saw you know from Tarrant
1: also um, love to hear more about practical ways to support students who are unable to go home. And. I think that there's, um, and this is this is one of the reasons why I also bring up international alumni and the way that um, different campuses were thinking about using or not using their alumni. Uh, I've certainly heard of campuses who've said to alumni, don't offer to house students, but send money instead so that we can support students. For those campuses that decided to tell all the international students to go home. I think this, or to leave campus, this was a reckoning. This could have really um, long-term implications because what institutions want to be known as is we have the backs of of, of our students. We're able to support our students. And I think that um, there are some difficult conversations to be had about whether or not that was, um, even though that was an understandable, certainly understandable decision. But the rippling impacts on that. So people are talking about emergency funds. Remember, for international students, I was just talking um, to a researcher yesterday who's been talking to students. They, they, if, if their campus closed, they don't have a family to go to. Their job may be lost. They may not have other funding, so, so money and stability can be really important. And so whether it's an emergency grant fund, whether it is utilizing some alumni in different ways than just funding, whether you can keep your campus residence halls open would be another kind of practical way. Oh, I love that, Lori, that's great to know. So, Laurie writes that she and her team are developing materials for campuses to help them communicate. I think that 's really important um, there's also um, apps that allow um, you know teletherapy and, and support in numerous languages that both help students and their family and you may want to explore those kinds of um, partnerships uh with 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 those organizations and
0: companies so um it's another interesting thing that i, I i've been thinking about is the kind of the long term i know we, we talked a little bit about contingencies but i think for the long term like you were touching on marion there needs to be a, a more thoughtful process when things calm down about how do we support international students um, in a way that it, I, mean, I like the idea of an app, but um, also you know if they're stuck in their home country, are there what what ways can we support students um, there if they can't come? We we saw this happen this last fall where for example many Iranian students are getting sent back when they got to the airports and I'm wondering if you have thoughts about that.
1: Well, I think at this point it's still an open question. For example, some some institutions are thinking, let's say you enroll new students but they're not able to um, to come, is CVIP going to adapt its flex adapt and extend its flexibility around online learning to allow new students to start off Online, will they extend the flexibility so that international students can be online and be um, in their home country. That's, you know, it's not indefinite flexibility at this point. Um, So we don't, we don't have those answers. And I also think you have to think seriously that an international student may wonder whether that's the best use of their time and money to be in an online program with a U.S. college or university and staying um, and staying in their home country.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the online option is going to be difficult for, obviously, for all the reasons you, you've already mentioned. But um, in any case, um, I'm also wondering, you know, how do we um, think through some of the issues I guess, I mean, a lot of it is just waiting to see what happens um, with the Supreme Court and so on. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big, uh, I really believe in, in, you know, planning ahead and, and trying to think through different scenarios. And I, I think one of the things that's going to have to happen is we're just going to have to start thinking through some of those scenarios because things are so uncertain. And I know a lot of people's time is just being taken up by dealing with the current crisis. But, um, I'm wondering um, you know, beyond the, the forum you're doing tomorrow, um, are you just thinking about uh, ways that you can help campuses start thinking through some of these different contingencies and, and stretch, you know, basically, strategic planning for, for the future?
1: Well, we're thinking about advocacy um, issues for the future, um, but not strategic planning at the level of the institution. I see that Tarrant wrote a question that I would love to to know as well about what are the burning issues at at the institutions of those who are participating today related to um, to international students? or maybe, you know the burning issues are not. Um, connected to international students, but if, maybe if we could hear from from others, that would be really interesting.
0: Okay. Well, the good news for me is that my Wi-Fi, is so I can get to setting. Okay, so uh, while we're waiting for folks to bring up their issues. Okay, so I have five and <laughs> <laughs> So maybe
1: if I can ask the participants, what did I miss as you were working with your international students um, and immigrant students Around some of these issues, are there things that you were encountering that I didn't touch upon that were really important um, uh, as you were going through your plans and, and grappling with the crisis? And as you're thinking about that, there's a question from Yaruby about, is there any advocacy in place to help with the OPT or work permit due to hardship regulations? So yes, that's another question about um, uh, whether right now in terms of the flexibility around hardship regulations. We are um, certainly um, part of our letter to DHS, as well as uh, NAFSA's letter, was around enabling more flexibility for optional practical training, including enabling students to apply for OPT from abroad. Enabling them, you know, making sure that they can process the documentation, not require in-person components to it, and also looking at um, Getting more flexibility for international students to be able to apply for work permits due to economic hardship. Those are kind of some narrow regulations now, but part of it and NAFSA is involved. We're involved in OPT. We didn't mention the hardship regulation specifically in our letter. I think NAFSA may have mentioned it in their letter. I think it's also in our congressional advocacy and in NAFSA's um, advocacy. Those are exactly important questions. And the way that specific institutions can help is when there's a, a dear colleague letter in Congress connecting with your representative, or your senator saying, this is really impacting us. Um, there could be also sharing stories with NAFSA or with the President's Alliance about how this would be helpful. The human interest component can be really important. Um, but NAFSA and President's Alliance are two that, I, that, that we're certainly working on those kinds of
0: advocacy. Your Ruby does that? Yeah.
1: So this is also a great, a great yes, extending the 90-day unemployment rule. That is in both NAFSA's letter and our letter. Um, Lor, um, Lorreen Lorraine is asking about um, how is this getting these issues being visible for chancellors and presidents? How can they focus on this really? It's a great question because they're so immersed in COVID-19. When I was talking with some of our members about the Supreme Court issues, they were saying, we don't have bandwidth. You know, this is gonna be difficult. We're all so immersed, um, So, and, and understandably so. Uh, one of the reasons why we decided to host the forum, that host the briefing tomorrow was to say this has to be on the radar of chancellors and presidents. Um, and I think Alan Cram from Illinois Institute of Technology, Technology will do a really good job in setting that stage. So if you know of other senior campus leaders in your, on, on, at your institution who need to kind of get reminded of this, you can either invite them to the briefing or you know, send them the recording afterwards. Um, but it's not easy. That is a it's a real um, it's a real issue at the moment.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, these are some really uh, great questions, and um, yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot for a lot of campuses are just so overwhelmed with the, the you know this how things are right now that trying to think about other issues is going to be hard, but um, in any case, um, my internet is back, (laughs) so uh, I'm happy about that, so apologies if there was a little glitch in there. Um, So Miriam, I know we've we've both been in in these leadership positions, and I'm wondering, do you mind just talking a little bit about um, how we can all support each other (laughs) through these difficult times? I think, yeah, we all need to just take a deep breath. And, you know, think about ways that, I mean, obviously, the Center for Higher Education Leadership, we're here, and we really want to help everybody through these these uh, difficult times. Um, and, you know, from your perspective as somebody who's been an academic administrator, I mean, what do you, do you have any suggestions or tips on, on how to deal with these situations?
1: Um. Recognize that that everyone is trying to do as much as possible. That there's fatigue, that there's worry and concern, and really demonstrate a generosity of spirit, in in everything that that you do. I think that that's really important. Even as you give yourself also some leeway, you kind of lead with a generosity of spirit. Mm-hmm. Second, really think about who's around the table. Um, Is your, and you know, asking about how can we make sure these issues are on the radar. uh, The senior international officer on campus needs to be part of this. Um, Think about who's around that table. Third, continuously reach out and check in with students and alumni. I think that that's really important, as well as staff and faculty in, in different ways. But don't ignore any of these constituencies, parents or another constituency. So check-ins, just um, one of the things that came out of a, of an admissions um, survey that just got released this week was contrary to some previous admissions surveys, even though there was a lot of uncertainty by perspective, uh, by, by high school seniors about what their plans would be. This time around, they wanted much more communication from their colleges than they ever did in the past. Mm -hmm. So over communicating and communicating with, you know, authenticity with different constituencies in your campus community can be really important.
0: Absolutely. You know, we, that's what our, we did a, our webinar last week was on crisis communications and I can't emphasize enough. I I'm on a lot of different forums for faculty and so on. And the faculty are just, you know, they really need the communication and this has been such an excellent discussion. I, I hope you all will. I'm going to make sure I blast this out to everybody because this has been one of the best discussions I've, I've had so far in terms of uh, thinking through some of the implications of what's happening uh, in particular for international students, but just communication. I mean, I bet a lot of faculty don't understand the impact this is uh, having on their the students in their classes. Um, and so I think it's really important that we think through not, you know, obviously the chief international officers need to be there, but also um, you know, we need to make sure this information is getting to, to faculty. So I'm going to blast this everywhere <laughs> I have um, uh, access to all the different networks because this has been one of the most informative uh, discussions we've had so far. Thank
1: you, Terry, for the opportunity.
0: Yeah. So. Um, uh, thanks if everyone we have...
1: for your great discussion.
0: Yes, this is this has been really great. Um, thanks, everyone, and. Um, The slides, we will be sending everybody the slides, and I will also post them at our uh, COVID-19 forum, um, also on our our, uh, coronavirus resources. Uh, So uh, don't worry, we will make sure everybody has various ways to access the slides. And thank you, thank you, thank you, Miriam. I I really encourage everyone to uh, connect with the President's Alliance. Make sure that you guys are staying informed and on top. And I will definitely be on the uh, the call, the webinar tomorrow. Uh, this is a, a very important topic to me. I'm sorry I didn't have good internet access. I, I will post some resources around study. I was planning to study talk more about study abroad, but I will be posting some uh, resources. Um, on study abroad and what's happening there and um, I'll also UT Austin had set up a whole bunch of uh, systems for uh, risk management and tracking students, so I will uh, post some of those and if you guys have resources um, that you uh, want us to share, please uh, don't hesitate to send us those. Um, You can contact me directly at at t.givens or info at higheredleads.com and again, we, we really appreciate you being there. Thank you to all of our members who are online. And to those of you who aren't, please join us. Um, we would love to have you involved more. And next week we will be talking with um, Steve Jordans about ways to deal with the crisis from a, a psychological perspective. So that's gonna be a really, I mean, each one of these webinars seems to get better, but uh, we uh, I think next week is gonna be really great. So again, thanks to everybody. And especially thank you, Miriam, so much for for taking your time and putting together these informative slides. And um, I will be listening tomorrow.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And and good luck, everyone. I'm thinking about all the campuses. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing.
0: Yes, thank you. And we will, uh, I'm going to go ahead and sign off now. But if you have any questions, don't hesitate to get in touch with anyone.